And she catches the wave, which is great. But of course, while she's riding, oh my gosh, there's so many car horn honkings. I don't understand. So they're flying about the ocean. They don't really see anything. And oh, come on, police sirens now. Okay, they're getting farther away. Um, so they go out to find Crunchy at, mm, nope. Please, sirens, go away. I just want to talk about Scooby-Doo with my friends. <laughs> okay, it stopped. Um, oh, now we've got a loud motorcycle, too. We've really checked every bingo box. Podcast existence is pain. <laughs> Ooh, now we, get a, now we get a fire truck siren. The fire truck ones are the most annoying because it sounds like a dying cat. Okay, I think they're far enough away. <laughs> so, okay, so I've given you each. Oh, now, now there's a truck backing up. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've hit them all, folks. Now, uh, Captain Planet or Captain Podcast is gonna show up from out of the ground and say, "The power is mine," and give me a quip sponsorship, I guess. Fellow sleuths to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our revamped group of friends and go head to head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I am notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are Caroline Crampton, the host of She Done It, and Multitude's own Moya McTeer, astrophysicist, folklorist, and the host of our newest Multitude show, Exolore. Caroline and Moya, how's it going? It's going well. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm alive. Same. It's really all we can ask, right? <laughs> That's 2020. That's like, oh, I've noticed you're on the call and you aren't dead, so things are good. <laughs> yeah, that's where the bar is. It's on the floor. <laughs> you know, the world's on fire, but your particular room, at least what I can see in the background of your webcam video, is not. So things seem to be going great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Caroline, I know you have a history in reading classical mystery works. In this episode, we'll be discussing Scooby-Doo and specifically the 2002 reboot, What's New Scooby-Doo. Did this make the cut for stuff that you're well-versed in? I'm afraid not. I have <laughs> never encountered it before. I know loosely what Scooby-Doo is. I think I've seen some of the old cartoons, maybe when I was a kid, but no, my podcast covers mostly British detective fiction from the 1920s and 30s. So we're a few decades out, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> Moya, how about you? Are you familiar with Scooby-Doo in general? Did you watch it? This new iteration? Yeah. Um, as a person whose bisexual awakening was brought on by the Hex Girls, I <laughs> love Scooby-Doo. Velma's just right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This particular reboot of Scooby-Doo, What's New Scooby-Doo, came out in 2002, refreshed artwork, most of the same voice actors, and they got a new theme song, which this will be the first bonus point of the episode. Do either of you have any idea who made the theme song? It is the most 2002 answer possible. I will give the hint that it is a pop punkish type of band, but it is incredibly on brand. I want to say Smashing Pumpkins. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I like the pumpkin spooky vibe. That is a good guess. Moya, do you have one? I want to say Simple Plan, but that feels wrong. It is Simple Plan! <gasps> yes! You get the first part of the episode! <laughs> yes! Simple Plan! 
Man, the artist that you probably know from uh, I Do Anything. They did the What's New Scooby-Doo intro song, which does, and I have to say, slap. It is incredible. It's the most 2002 thing possible. It's fantastic. The other thing I do have to note when I was looking up stuff about this franchise, which I didn't realize at first, Casey Kasem does the voice of Shaggy, and he has since the original. Like, Casey Kasem, the guy who did those countdown, uh, another top 100 hit TV shows, he's the voice of Shaggy, which is wild. <laughs> Just wild. <laughs> so before we get into the actual show, let's find out what charities you all are playing for, since this is a game show for charity. So, Moya, which charity will you be playing for today? I'm going to be playing for Fair Fight, which is a charity started by Stacey Abrams, who, if you don't remember, ran for governor in Georgia in 2018. Unfortunately lost, but broke a lot of records. And this charity fights to end voter suppression and educate voters about their rights and how they can actually, you know, use their voice to affect our country. That's great. That's fantastic. Caroline, how about you? So I was going to play for Refuge, which is a domestic violence charity here in the UK and particularly of interest to me at the moment because they've got an urgent appeal to keep their helpline running during lockdown COVID stuff because it's never been busier, they say. Okay, great. Wow. Both great causes. That's fantastic. So here's how the show is going to work. I will be recapping three mysteries from the esteemed television show Scooby-Doo, specifically What's New Scooby-Doo? Neither of you have seen these before, and I will lay out the clues. I'll ask you for your accusations and each correct guess of culprit, method, motive, etc. will earn you points, but there are also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, you will earn a Misery Loves Company bonus point, and I am usually wrong, so that's in play quite often. <laughs> also, if there's just anything else that makes me chuckle, you have a particularly wild guess, you throw some trash talk around, make a really solid 2002 reference, anything in that wheelhouse can get you a bonus point because nothing matters, everything is pretend, and this is how I get joy in the year 2020. <laughs> at the end of the rounds, if there is a tie, we will break the tie in the only fitting way, which is with a sudden death riddle, but we'll see if it even comes to that. Ooh. But with all the rules being laid out, I say we put the pedal to the metal and get into our first mystery of the episode, which is 3D-struction. Now, what I appreciate about all of the titles of What's New Scooby-Doo is pretty much every single one is a pun, and I am here for that. <laughs> so the opening scene of 3D-struction, we see an Australian adventurer, like the Australian Indiana Jones, named Melbourne O'Reilly. So he's Australian, but also Irish? <laughs> <laughs> he arrives at the Temple of Agazar. He's trying to gather the bones of, and I kid you not, the Gigantosaurus. Mm, sounds real. <laughs> I think I've seen that in the Museum of Natural History for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's in the Jurassic Park wing. So he is there with his guide, Senor Luis Cepeda, and Luis warns him that anyone who disturbs the remains will be struck with a terrible curse. And Melbourne, in his very Australian accent, says that that's a bunch of bollocks and <laughs> says, whatever, I'm going to go try to get these bones anyway. Of course, while he's trying to excavate, a giant dinosaur spirit shows up, and the whole crew runs away, and it's just Melbourne being confronted by the dinosaur. And like all of these intros of Scooby-Doo Go, you see someone in potential danger, and then we cut to the gang having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> of course. 
I'm so here for cursed dinosaur ghosts. <laughs> oh, get ready. It gets intense. So the gang shows up in Costa Rica because Daphne's uncle, who is this well-to-do person, requested that they go down there to check out a Costa Rican museum, which has an exhibit about the bones of the Gigantosaurus. When they show up, they are greeted by Dr. Armando Gutierrez, who I, of course, initially think is guilty. My go-to with the Scooby-Doo ones is I always just blame whoever shows up first, mm. and we'll see if I'm correct. But they meet Dr. Armando, who tells them a little bit about the museum, the exhibit, etc. And then they also meet Melbourne O'Reilly. He is there, and he tells them about the dinosaur spirit curse, but very much in a begrudging, I don't think this thing is real kind of way. They don't have cursed dinosaur bones in Australia. No, just giant cursed spiders <laughs> and terrifying insects. <laughs> so the gang is then given a tour by Heather Lane. She is a foreign exchange student, and she shows them things in the exhibit, one of which is a moon rock exhibit. So it has this giant moon rock excavator that is called the Beta. She gives this big jargony name for what it's official name is, but it's got this big decal on the side that says beta. And of course, while they are looking at moon rocks, Shaggy and Scooby try to eat the moon rocks because they think the moon is made out of cheese. They unfortunately <laughs> learn the hard way. It is not. <laughs> so Heather also shows them that underneath the museum, there is an abandoned gold mine and there's mine tunnels that connect the underway of the museum. And she's telling them about this, but they are then called to go back upstairs for a showing in the theater of a 3D dinosaur documentary about the Gigantosaurus. Oh, that's not convenient at all. <laughs> so now we meet our last new person. Don't worry, there's not going to be any new people coming into the mix. We meet the movie director, J.J. Hakimoto. Now, he is the person who directed this 3D dinosaur film. He's very excited, gives a little speech before people watch it, and then everyone throws on their 3D glasses because it's 2002, and they watch this film. While they are watching this film, you see a giant dinosaur show up, and at first you think, this is from the 3D movie, and Daphne goes, wow, this is really realistic, and then it yells at everyone, and everyone's glasses fly off, and then they go, oh, this, this is the giant dinosaur spirit from earlier in the episode. So, of course, everyone, except for the gang, runs out of the museum. That's amazing. I love it. So, the gang comes back the next day to examine the destruction that took place in the museum, and they are talking about this with Dr. Gutierrez. He says that everything's okay, he's just glad everyone is safe, no one got hurt, and all of the damage that happened to the museum can be rebuilt. But he also says that he thinks this could be actually a good thing in that the giant dinosaur attack could bring in more visitors to the museum. <laughs> well, there is a long history of ghosts as tourist attractions, I guess. It's hard to say because with everything being closed, I would love to go to a museum right now, but... If someone told me that the local museum was attacked by a giant dinosaur, I for sure would go. Yeah. Like, that's a no-brainer. Especially now. <laughs> I would rather be killed by a dinosaur spirit than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad way to go out. That's a dope headstone. <laughs> I'm going to give you a bonus point just for this thought. Moy McTeer, she died by <laughs> cause of death giant dinosaur spirit. Yes. Just imagine the section on your Wikipedia page. Oh. It would just be incredible. <laughs> it's worth it for that alone. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so Senor Cepeda shows up and this is the same guy who warned Melbourne O'Reilly not to touch the bones. And he pleads with Dr. Gutierrez to return the Gigantosaurus skeleton because it's wrong, the curse, etc. But Dr. Gutierrez refuses. 
Cepeda then says that this is all Melbourne's fault for the museum's misfortunes because by taking these bones, he has brought the curse of the giant spirit dinosaur gigantosaurus onto the museum. So Melbourne is upset at being accused of being the guilty person for this. So he's like, I'm going to capture the dinosaur spirit. So the gang (laughs) goes with Melbourne to look through the gold mine tunnels to try to find some clues. They see a greenish grayish substance on the ground, which Velma thinks is coprolite, which I had to Google and it's like a fossily substance. So they end up splitting up, and of course, what happens when they split up? It's a chase scene with a giant dinosaur spirit. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every single time. They run away. They're able to escape thanks to a secret entrance that they find in the mines. And the gang goes back to the museum to research the bones. And Velma has taken some photographs. She runs them through a facial recognition program, which in 2002 seemed like a smart thing. In 2020, feels like privacy breach, but we'll just not really think about this too much. (laughs) And they're trying to figure out who could be the culprit. What I appreciate about this 2002 reboot of Scooby-Doo is about three quarters of the way through the episode, they kind of do a breakdown of all of the potential suspects. And it's really nice. They're like, here's why this person might be guilty. Here's why this person might be guilty, which I think is more fun than in the original Scooby-Doo. There's just a lot of chase scenes. And then at the end, Velma's like, obviously it was this because of this very tiny detail that I hope you everyone picked up on. Feels like they're going for the more of the, it's actually something from classic detective fiction, the rules of fair play, <gasps> ah. that you have to give the reader all the clues so that they could theoretically work it out for themselves. I guess that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah, it's nice. I would say these episodes more than the old ones, when I would be watching original Scooby-Doo episodes in prep for earlier eps of Meddling Adults, there were a few that I would have to throw out because you would unmask it and be like, oh, it was the accountant who we never met, but he definitely (laughs) was mad at getting fired 20 years ago. (laughs) So while they are doing this research, they come across information that Senor Cepeda is actually an international con man. (laughs) He was notorious for selling artifacts and fossils on the black market. So now Senor Cepeda goes from being this apparent good guy to a suspicious character. So Fred, of course, devises a plan to capture the spirit, and they're going to try to capture it and figure out what's going on. So they try to capture it. It doesn't work. But Velma reveals that she has all of the information needed to figure out who is behind all of this. So she brings all of the suspects into the theater room of the museum. And she reveals that the substance found in the mines was not coprolite, but it's actually bat guano. She also reveals that there are surround sound speakers throughout the museum, and that is what's making the spirits roar. And she reveals that the spirit, the giant dinosaur, is not, you know, 50 people in a dinosaur costume, but it's actually just a big disguise that's put over the giant mechanical excavator that we met when Heather, the exchange student, showed us before. It's at this point, then, that she reveals who is behind this and why they are doing this. So, I turn to the two of you. Who do you think is guilty, and what do you think they're doing with this giant dinosaur? Hmm. So I'm going to go, and I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. I'm going to go with the filmmaker. Yes, me too. (laughs) J.J. Hakimoto, which I hope is like a Japanese joke about J.J. Abrams, but I don't know if he was famous in 2002. That was my first thought when you said it. I was like, this has to be some kind of Japanese pun. Okay. What was your reasoning for thinking it's J.J.? Well, two things, neither of which seem very convincing now I try and say them out loud. (laughs) (laughs) One being that he might want to sort of amp up interest in the dinosaur to get more attention for his film. Ah. And then the other 
<laughs> very dodgily, I'm thinking that he works in film, so would have all of the knowledge and techniques necessary to realistically fake a cursed dinosaur spirit. Okay, I like it. That's a solid guess. Boy, what was your reasoning for pegging JJ as the culprit? I will admit that I've seen this episode before, but I oh. don't remember how it ends. Okay. But when you said that Velma was like, oh, well, I have all of the evidence I need to figure out who did this. I, for some reason, like the only thing we have so far is the bat guano. I can imagine a scenario where during the initial attack, when they were getting ready to watch that 3D movie, the dinosaur appeared and then the film director like didn't get scared and Velma would notice that and then use that as evidence, but not list it as evidence. That just seems like a Velma thing to do. Mm. That's why I think it's the film director. Okay. So unfortunately you are both incorrect, but (laughs) I do like your guesses. I like your reasoning. Everything is sound. This was a tricky one for sure, but the actual culprits, it's a tag team. It's Senor Luis Cepeda and Heather Elaine, the foreign exchange student. So Luis found out about gold in this abandoned gold mine. There was actually still gold in it. And then he hired Heather to help him enact this plan to scare everyone away from the museum so that they could re-excavate the abandoned gold mine and get more gold. Mm -hmm. How do you put that on a visa application? (laughs) 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 What did she say she was coming over to do if not illegally use dinosaur spirits to get illicit (laughs) gold. Like, what what happened there? (laughs) So part of what made Velma so sure that Heather was in on it is because with the machine being called Beta and being on display, she knew that there was another machine. She says there must be an alpha version. And the alpha version, it was what was used for the excavating. So the combination of knowing that Luis was this international con man, and then also with Heather having the knowledge about the excavation process and showing them the mines and all this kind of stuff, Velma put two and two together. So smart. (laughs) So smart. Because I immediately went Beta- like it was a prototype. Yeah. Not like it was one of a sequence. Yeah. <laughs> Today's episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I think this is the perfect sponsor for a show about adults trying to relive their childhoods because Magic Spoon is cereal that your adult body can process, but it satisfies your childlike cravings for cereal. As we've grown older, we've all tried to cut down on carbs, sugar, things that are unhealthy, but eating cereal is always just so tempting. What if you had a cereal that adapted with your diet as you've gotten older and realized that you need to change things? Well, Magic Spoon is just the thing. It's got zero grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. They have four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, and it tastes fantastic. It doesn't taste like you're eating health cereal. It doesn't taste like you're eating something gross. It genuinely tastes like very good cereal. And then you get the added bonus of, oh, this is not terrible for me. I'm loving this. I have really enjoyed the fruity flavor. There are other fruity cereals out there that are usually overpoweringly sweet. What is nice about the one from Magic Spoon is that you get the wonderful fruit flavor without it just being so sweet that it feels like you're eating a bowl of candy. It just is that perfect intersection of flavorful and sweet, but not too much. I'm so here for it. And I know this might be silly, but the fruity one just looks really pretty. All of the colors of the individual pieces are very pleasing to the eyes. And of course, it's pleasing to the taste buds as well. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, 
sugar-free and it's low carb. And as a meddling adults listener, you can go to magicspoon.com/meddling to get a variety pack and try it out today. Be sure to use the promo code meddling at checkout and you'll get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So, if you don't like it for any reason, which I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't like it, they'll refund your money no questions asked. Again, that's magicspoon.com/meddling and use the code meddling for free shipping. And thanks Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and helping us raise more money for charity. Hooray! So we finished our first mystery. Moya has a two to zero lead (sighs) as we get into our second mystery, which is she sees sea monsters by the seashore. Love it already. So this one opens with a German family on vacation in a boat, which then gets attacked by a giant sea creature. And of course, we don't see how the German family fares. We just cut to the gang on vacation. (laughs) Who's paying for this? (laughs) I will say what was very funny is that I am watching these Scooby-Doo videos very legally online. And sometimes they exist in not English. So when I was watching this one, and it showed up in German, I was very confused because it's not just family talking in German accent, it's family speaking German. So when they are dealing with the giant sea monster, I was like, oh man, this episode sounded really fun. I like the title. It's a shame that it's only on this website in German. And then I skipped ahead just to make sure and then it was in English. So yeah, just just a normal German cold open to Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> Who were the voice actors for that, though? Did they fly in some Germans or just someone in the back room spoke German? (laughs) I guess. So the gang is on vacation. And of course, we see Shaggy and Scooby eating. And Fred is playing volleyball with himself. So he's hitting it on one side, then runs around the net and hits it up and keeps running. Classic Fred. (laughs) Velma is just digging about in the sand. And Daphne is going surfing. Not classic Daphne. Good for them. No. So what's really solid about the 2002 reboot is that they have turned Daphne from damsel in distress into very competent member of the team that is constantly quieting her previous stereotypes of being the OMG fashion type of person and not being the brightest. But she's very competent and they address it head on. And they do it in this episode too, because while she's surfing, there's some local... Hawaiian surfer bro out there that just talks and like, oh, yeah, dude, like, you know, <laughs> that is saying that she shouldn't be surfing out here because one, the waves are too big and B, it's locals only. He says, why don't you just go get a pedicure? And she goes, I can hold my own. Also, I got a pedicure yesterday, so I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So she still has all of her fashionable elements, but she's also really on top of her game and I love it. She's so great. I really like the sound of this. So while she's out surfing, there are a bunch of sea turtles and the gang sees these out there. Shaggy gets really worried because he doesn't realize that sea turtles aren't necessarily dangerous. Velma (laughs) explains to him that sea turtles are pretty chill and they're not going to attack her. She'll be fine. And then Velma, in a very surprising for 2002 take, goes, actually, I think man is the most dangerous creature and then gives a little environmental tangent. Love a 2002 (laughs) environmental tangent about how men are destroying ecosystems of animals like sea turtles. Does this episode have a guest cameo by Al Gore? Please say it does. No, it doesn't. I wish it did. Or I would have loved if Jane Goodall comes surfing in. (laughs) David Attenborough's on a a jet ski. (laughs) Just to teach us about the planet. It, you know, <laughs> it'd be great. Yeah. Daphne then challenges this local surfboarder 
to a surfing challenge on this giant wave that comes up and he wipes out and she catches the wave, which is great. But of course, while she is catching the wave, the giant sea monster attacks and chases after her. She's able to surf to safety, but the monster does attack and it gets a big chunk. It bites her surfboard while she's escaping, but Daphne is okay, and the gang is very happy to see her safe. What kind of monster is this sea monster? Is it tentacly? Is it uh, snaky? Is it sharky? It's like if the Loch Ness Monster had a angry cousin. It's a mix of snaky, but also... It's got arms and legs, so it's not just a big snake. It's got a big, long neck. It's green with these yellow spikes coming out the back. Do you know Lapras from Pokemon? It's like angry Lapras. Okay, I can picture it. If this helps at all, there is someone who later reveals that this creature is called the Moto Shandu, and I don't know if this is a real thing from lore or if this was a Scooby-Doo original creation. Just as a, a transatlantic aside, have you guys ever seen the cartoon The Family Ness? I have not. No. But I imagine this is about a Loch Ness monster family, and that sounds great! It's an adorable British cartoon about the Loch Ness monster's extended family, <laughs> and they all live in the loch, and they have adventures. And uh, I recently, during lockdown, rediscovered it, and um, I think lots of it is on YouTube, and it's just delightful. It has the most gorgeous theme tune as well. It's like a really happy sing-along one. Wow. Okay. We'll watch. Yeah, Caroline, you've earned a bonus point for bringing this into my life. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. It's so joyful. So Daphne is explaining the creature to the gang. She says it was big, it was green, it was scary. And Shaggy turns to Scooby and goes, ha, sounds like the salad that we had on the flight. Oh. So Velma takes Daphne's surfboard and tries to examine the bite on it. And she says that it is way bigger than a shark's bite, but she's very surprised to see that there would be a monster in the waters just because it was so close to shore and that it doesn't really make sense for a giant monster to be near where big waves are crashing. But guess who shows up? The German family! <laughs> they come and they confirm that they also were attacked by the giant monster. Like on the same day or the day before, and then they return to the same beach, that seems irresponsible. Who's to say? But they're here for exposition and to catch the <laughs> gang up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So the gang is then greeted by Sharky. He is a local. He was dropping off the gang's luggage that came in from the airport. I guess their bags got delayed. Classic. And he is more than just a local. He works at the resort where they're staying. He gives tours and does some other things around the resort. But he comes and hears this discussion of giant green monster. And he goes, oh, that's the Moto Shandu. And they go, the Moto Shandu? And he explains the Moto Shandu. So he takes him to a part of the resort which has a water fountain, which has a Moto Shandu statue in it, <laughs> and, and explains that the Moto Shandu is this creature that lurks in the waters and it attacks anything that thinks it's a threat to its homeland. And he says, tourists fall under that veil. And I gotta say, as someone that despises tourists with every fiber of my being, I'm here for it. I'm a big Moto Shandu fan. Mm -hmm. I'm into this. This is like a kind of eco-mystery. It's got a kind of protectionist, save the environment angle. I'm digging it. So Sharky says, here, I have an idea that can help you out of where we can try to see if this giant green monster is in the water. Why don't you come on my helicopter tour and we'll check it out? So the gang hops in Sharky's helicopter. <laughs> so while they're in the helicopter, they realize that they're not close enough to the water to see if the Motoshandu is lurking underwater. 
So Sharky says, I have a friend named Crunchy who has a glass bottom boat. Why don't you go take a boat tour with Crunchy? No. <laughs> no. Is this episode sponsored by a tourist board? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say they do mention that they're staying at the Granville Resort, but I don't think it's real. I don't think there's product placement involved, but maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if there's a promo code very quickly flash up in the credits, then you know it. <laughs> <laughs> if you pause it and you see the wave, it actually says, use code GRANVILLE20 to get 20% off. <laughs> so they go on Crunchy's boat, and the boat is called the Big Blue Mama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Crunchy is exactly who you think he is. He talks like this the whole time, and he's really passionate about sea creatures. <laughs> they are riding on this boat. Through the glass bottom, you can see a bunch of sea creatures, and they are going out on the boat to a odd formation of rocks. This is where the German family said that their attack happened, so they're going to check that out to see if the monster is hanging out near there. Crunchy reveals that boats have been breached by these rocks over the years because they barely poke out of the water, so it's this place where there's a lot of danger afoot. Oh. Of course, as they approach the rocks, through the glass bottom of the boat, they see the Moto Shandu, and Crunchy's boat crashes into the jagged rocks. So clearly, <laughs> the Moto Shandu has a system worked out. <laughs> Don't like this. So the boat is sinking, the gang is trying to swim to safety, and thankfully, Sharky in his helicopter shows up Let's down a rope ladder, and they all climb aboard and are brought to safety. So the gang is going to investigate what's going on, and where else do they go? But they go to Aqualand. Now, Aqualand, if you are a diehard Scooby-Doo fan or you've listened to an earlier episode of Meddling Adults, Aqualand is the knockoff of SeaWorld that exists in the Scooby-Doo universe that is better than SeaWorld because it's half theme park, half place where they do research about animals. So they head over to Aqualand, I guess in the Hawaii branch that they have, and they meet a marine biologist named Mora Ravenmane. Now, Mora Ravenmane, I will say, has a very dramatic, black, swoopy haircut Ooh. that makes her, I will say, look a little evil just based on appearances. It made me wish that she was the first person that we met in the episode because I was going to be like, yup, it's her. But of course, by my legal obligation, I think Sharky is guilty. <laughs> Mora explains to them about the wildlife in the waters and how she protects the local animals, especially the sea turtles. So the same sea turtles that were near Daphne when she was surfing. Now, they ask her about if she goes out on boats, if she's checking them out, but she says that being on the water makes her seasick, so she just sticks to doing research in Aqualand. Relatable. <laughs> Shaggy and Scooby, of course, wander off, and they are hanging out with a giant orca whale, and they're eating lunch nearby, and the orca whale is buddying up to them, and Shaggy and Scooby get scared. And Mora tries to put the middies just saying, oh no, she loves you. And Shaggy goes, I hope she doesn't love me the same way I love onion rings, which I thought <laughs> was great. So the gang decides they're going to start looking for clues elsewhere. They first check out Sharky's helicopter hangar. And while they're there, they see some of Crunchy's boat gear, which they think is a bit suspicious. But Sharky shows up, and though he talks in a very unconvincing way, where he does say, and I quote, uh, I can explain, <laughs> he says that he just stores some of Crunchy's extra gear because Crunchy just has a little shack and can't fit all of his boat equipment. I believe that. Yeah, it feels believable. So then they decide, let's check out Crunchy's boat shack. So they go to the shack. It's empty. 
But while they're there, Velma sees a life jacket which has the name Charles Granville on it, and Fred finds a big flat-screen television in the back just playing images of fish swimming by and different sea creatures going through the water. That seems unusual for a shack, can I say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another unusual thing they find is that there is a place where very clearly Crunchy has three boats docked, but the middle boat is missing. It's just not there. So they are worried that he might have gone out on his own to try to confront the monster. So they're worried he might be in danger. So they want to go out and try to save him. So what do they do? They go back to Aqualand and Mora hooks them up with high-tech jet skis and <laughs> scuba gear. And Velma even gets a prescription goggle face mask thing. Oh, it's so good. They get totally souped up to the nines in equipment that perfectly fits them. Of course. I gotta say, like from an academic perspective, that's just not a thing that can happen. <laughs> they would have to sign so much paperwork or else the research center would have too much liability and, and these things are too expensive to let untrained people use them. I just... This is where it all breaks down for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it wasn't the talking Great Dane? Nope. No, I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so they're out trying to find Crunchy. Velma does think that it's a bit strange that Mora didn't come with them, just lent them all of this expensive equipment. It was like, have fun. And of course, while they're trying to find Crunchy, as is to happen in Scooby-Doo episodes, the Moto Shandu shows up again and breaks the very expensive boat that they're on. But the best part is before it breaks the boat, the Motoshandu rises out of the water, and Fred says, don't worry, everyone, the Motoshandu can't get us on the boat. And then the head just attacks and breaks the boat in one foul <laughs> swoop. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of turn Fred into the silly Daphne character, and I like it. I like Fred being a bit more of a buffoon. So the gang then are trying to swim underwater with their scuba gear that they have. Shaggy and Scooby, of course, do not want to do this. But they convince them to go underwater. They're underwater and they see the graveyard of wrecked ships. And Shaggy makes a very astute observation. He says, why does it have to be a ship graveyard? Why can't it just be a ship junkyard or a ship parking lot? Why does it have to have such a scary name? Great point. <laughs> so Fred has, of course, a plan to try to trap the Motoshandu. It's going to use the sunken boats to kind of trap it because the monster's so big, but it ends up working. They're able to get the Motoshandu captured and they bring it to surface using a large wave. They kind of surf it to shore and it's breached on the sand by the gang. <laughs> it's a wonderfully elaborate plan that just worked flawlessly. <laughs> Good for them. Now, when they get it on shore, they're trying to figure out, okay, what is this Motushandu? Because it's really big. They determine that the outside, the green scaliness of it is rubber, and then they peel some away, and it's basically a small submarine inside. <gasps> and then they open up the submarine and they find out who's inside. So I turn to the two of you. Who is behind the Motushandu attacks? <sighs> I vote Mora. Yes, I was going to say that too. Ooh, okay. What's the reasoning? Yeah, my reasoning is that if I were in charge of a lab at Aqualand and all these tourists were going to the ocean and simultaneously destroying the ecosystem by bothering the turtles and not giving patronage to Aqualand, which probably provides funding for my research, I would be so mad and I would try to come up with a way to get tourists away from the ocean. That's really sound logic. How about you, Caroline? So I also thought, Moira, slightly different reasoning, though. Just I thought 
she loves the ocean. <laughs> you know, she wants to protect the sea turtles. <laughs> and this is how she's doing it. She's trying to scare away all the people who are coming to the fancy resort, destroy its reputation, and the sea creatures live happily ever after. I think academia has made me too cynical. <laughs> <laughs> so I've given you each a bonus point because your reasoning of protect the wildlife, get the tourists away is correct. And I've given Moya an extra bonus point because I love the whole, we need the funding. We got to get people to Aqualand. I love the extra level that you went to there. But the guilty person is someone that you both said no to right off the bat. It's Crunchy. <gasps> so Crunchy has the same reasoning. He's very passionate about the sea creatures. He doesn't like all the people ruining the habitats of the sea turtles, etc. So he wanted to scare people away. What helped give it away was they reveal that the glass bottom boat wasn't actually a glass bottom boat. It was the TV screen that they found in the shed was put on the floor of the boat. That's how they got the video of the fish and then the Modu Shandu showing up. There actually wasn't the Modu Shandu that attacked. It was just a video of it and then Crunchy crashed the boat and then they got saved. Oh. I discounted Crunchy on the grounds that he was there when the Motushondu attacked. Yeah, it was the video. The glass bottom boat wasn't actually uh. a glass bottom. It was a flat screen TV. That's pretty brilliant, actually. Gotta give it yeah. to Crunchy. Dastardly. I did not think it was going to be crunchy. I don't know where he got access to a high-tech mini submarine that he was able to put inside of a, a green rubber monster suit, but <laughs> we all <laughs> underestimated a man named Crunchy. That's the last time <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, the flat screen TV too. He's crafty. So we go into the final mystery. Moya has a lead of four to two. The final mystery in this episode is The Unnatural, which is a baseball pun on the baseball movie, The Natural. I love the titles of these episodes. They're all so great. Oh, I'm screwed. Don't worry. <laughs> you don't have to know a lot about sports because as I will point out many times in this episode, all the sports things that they do make <gasps> no sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we open with a baseball player taking batting practice alone in the stadium where they play their games with a hitting machine. This is not how the world works. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> While he is taking batting practice with his hitting machine, a specter shows up. It's a demon of sorts in a raggedy, ripped, pinstripe baseball uniform. And he's got this big, long hair and a hat. And he screams, I'm warning you, try to break my record and everyone shall suffer. Mm -hmm. And then out of his hands come two baseballs that now are on fire. And he throws one of them at the batter. And what I love about the batter is that rather than run away when this happens, he tries to hit the fire <laughs> baseball. And of course, it's as bad as made of wood. It just breaks the bat and it starts smoking. And then he runs away afterwards. But I love that his instinct was, well, I got to hit a home run here. <laughs> yeah, I love his spunky spirit. That's good. <laughs> so the monster then throws a second fireball, which just goes into the camera, quote-unquote, of the cartoon, and then we cut to the gang having a good time on their way to Cookie Co. International Baseball Park. Is Daphne's family paying for all of this? I know I keep bringing this up, but it's just really perplexing. So this one is because Fred actually won a contest to meet Luis Santiago, the star of the local unnamed baseball team. <laughs> so they're headed to the park, and Daphne, while they get closer, she says, I thought this place used to be called Potter Stadium. And Velma says, yes, but Potter Stadium's 100-year-old foundation gave out, and it sunk underground, and Cookie Co. International Park was built right on top of it, which, just right off the bat, 
bad vibes, mm -hmm. hugely bad vibes. You never want to build on top of something that got destroyed without being planned to do so. Horrible omen. That's like architecture 101. <laughs> yes. Was something destroyed here? Don't build on top of it. Mm -hmm. So Fred won this contest to meet Luis Santiago. He is the best hitter in baseball, and he is one home run away from breaking the record of most home runs. They don't say in a season. <laughs> they don't say career. <laughs> they just say he's one away from the record. <laughs> <laughs> just the most. Yeah. He looks like a pretty young guy, so I would assume that it is the most home runs in a season record. Either that or Luis Santiago has had just an absolutely ridiculous career, and he has a bright future ahead of him. <laughs> so they get to the field while the team is practicing before their game is about to start. This is how the world works, so I appreciate this. And Scooby, once they show up, he sees a giant grizzly bear in a baseball costume and he attacks it. It turns out, of course, this is just the team's mascot, Mr. Grizz. <laughs> so Scooby has tackled Mr. Grizz. They unmask Mr. Grizz. And Shaggy makes a great fourth wall break joke where he goes, ha, it usually takes us a lot longer before we're unmasking people. <laughs> Which is so good. I thought it was so funny. So Velma recognizes the person underneath the mask as JT Page and says, hey, didn't you used to be a pitcher on the team? And JT says, yeah, until I got cut. And Daphne says, right. Didn't you throw a burrito at someone? And JT Page just goes, not my finest hour. <laughs> I really need to see how this happened because I don't know how you go from either having a bad pitching performance and then throwing a burrito at someone to maybe you got fired and then in the clubhouse you threw a burrito to someone. Burrito doesn't feel like a very baseball-y food. So many questions. So many mysteries. So many mysteries. I want to know the mystery of the throne burrito. <laughs> so JT continues. He says, the only way the team said that I could stay with the club is if I became the new mascot, Mr. Grizz. And Fred, not having any social cues here, goes, Cool! I'm Fred Jones. I won the contest to meet Luis Santiago. Where's Luis? <laughs> Come on, Fred! Read the room! <laughs> so JT says Luis is over there, and they point to Luis, who is currently being interviewed by Bob Taylor, who used to be a player, Luis reveals during the interview. And Bob is asking Luis about his recent shaky performance of late. Now, this is normal. Baseball players can get nervous right before they're about to break a big record. And Luis says, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a little slump. When he finishes the interview, Fred introduces himself and the whole gang to Luis, and then Fred and Luis just start geeking out over Luis's career highlights and some of the best performances he's had, and the rest of the gang is just, oh, brother, classic Fred. <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut to the evening of the actual baseball game, and the first scene we see is Shaggy with a bunch of concession food mm. that he has apparently gotten for free. And Velma says, you got it all for free? And Shaggy goes, yeah. The lady over there says that it was all free and that she'll check on me every inning to make sure I'm not hungry. She's great. And then the camera cuts to her and she's basically got hearts just emitting from her. Aww. She is smitten by Shaggy. But I don't feel like if you're an employee, you can just give someone free food because you think they're cute and then also leave your concession stand post to make sure once an inning that this guy's okay. But... Here we are. Also, I really miss concession stand food. Yeah, man. I don't miss concession stand prices, but I do miss concession stand food. Yeah. So we also see that Bob Taylor, who was interviewing Luis before, is also the broadcaster for the team doing the play-by-play -play stuff. Now, while the game is going on, it starts to rain. And Daphne says, oh, no. And Velma says, don't worry, Daphne. Your hair won't get wet. 
Cookie Co. Park has a retractable roof. And then the retractable roof closes in five seconds, which is not how retractable <laughs> roofs work. And this is also not how baseball games work. If you have a retractable roof and there's any chance of rain on the forecast, they close it beforehand just in case it happens to rain. But here we are in Scooby-Doo. The more important thing, though, is that Daphne squashes Velma's sass and the previous notions of her character. She goes, actually, I was worried about a rain out. That would mean that we'd have to play a doubleheader tomorrow, and we're only one in 17 in those games. It wouldn't be great for us. And Velma is just dumbfounded. Yes. And then it cuts back to Daphne, and she goes, and I also did just get my hair done. So I love that when people try to throw fashion disses at Daphne, she's like, uh, no, but also, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Baseball stats nerd and attractive, beautiful woman. Why not? You can like both things. It's okay. So Luis is now up to bat in the game, and who shows up? But the pitching specter. And he throws his hands into the sky, and all of the lights in the stadium explode, which is very impressive. Smoke then fills the stadium, and of course, the specter throws his signature fireballs and then disappears. So Everyone in the stadium leaves, the players leave, but Luis stays around, and the gang talks to Luis in the locker room. And he recaps what's been going on, and he reveals that he actually has been playing poorly on purpose because he is afraid that if he does break the record, that the specter is actually going to hurt some people. Mm. So good guy Luis. Yeah. So Luis reveals that the specter is the ghost of the all-time home run hitter, the person whose record he might break, Cab Gray. While he's wrapping up this story to the gang, Luis's publicist, Autumn Summerfield, comes in, and she is just the classic hotshot media person. She says, Luis, this is great. You're all over the news. We need to capitalize while the story's hot. We need to get you photos and interviews and all this stuff. And Luis is concerned about more important things at stake, like the safety of his teammates, but she's just hell-bent on getting this story out. Mm, I love her name. Scooby-Doo does a very good job of naming their potential suspects. So the gang starts looking for clues, and they see a generator near the lights that they think was hooked up to the existing lighting system to overpower the lights and make them explode. While the rest of the gang is doing this, Shaggy and Scooby are doing what else but eating concession stand food in the outfield, and they fall into a trap door in the outfield that drops them into the locker room of the previous collapsed stadium. Yes terrifying. It's very creepy and Shaggy goes, oh, this must be how the Spectre is getting around. And of course, they run into the Spectre and there's a chase scene. After the chase scene, the gang notices that the light in the broadcasting booth in the stadium is still on. So they go to check it out and as they go down a different hallway, we see JT Page, the guy who was the pitcher that was in the mascot costume. He is peeking at the gang from down the hallway giving a very suspicious, angry-looking glare. (laughs) So when the gang is in the booth, they don't see anything suspicious, but they do see Bob Taylor has a bunch of memorabilia of his own playing days, which is a bit narcissistic. He's got a framed poster of himself and his own baseball card, and Fred reveals that his stats were garbage. He was very bad, but he does say, oh, look, he was on the same team as Cab Gray, the home run king. Now, while they're poking around in the studio, organ music plays, and the organ music also played when the Spectre showed up, so they say, hey, clearly someone's playing the organ, let's go see what's up. (laughs) So they go to the booth where the organist plays. Why is there an organ? Oh, it's a classic baseball thing, like when they play Take Me Out of the Ball Game, or like da-da-da-da-da-da, charge! It's just an old-timey baseball thing, because baseball is old. Oh, 
that's a real organ. Now, in current stadiums, it's not always a real organ, but some stadiums still do have legit organ players. Oh, that's really cool. Never knew that. Yeah. The coolest use of organ, though, is in Atlanta, the basketball team, the Hawks, they have an organist who plays whatever is currently popular in hip-hop or pop music or rap, plays organ versions of that during the basketball games, and it's absolutely incredible. It's the best. That does sound amazing. Yeah, I want to see that. Also, the Atlanta Hawks have very cheap concessions. No concession costs more than $5. So it sounds like we should all go to an Atlanta Hawks basketball game when the world is normal again. Let's all go. I'm in. (laughs) That sounds great. So the organ music plays. They go and check it out. Of course, they run into the Spectre, who is just playing the organ. There's another chase scene. During the chase scene, Shaggy has a great quote where he says, ha, I've heard of take me out to the ball game, but not take me out at the ball game. (laughs) (laughs) classic so they finally break free and then there is a camera flash and it's from autumn summerfield the publicist she says that she's trying to get a photo of the specter to make the story even better she says that she was on her way home but turned around when she realized the potential of a story daphne thinks that this is a bunch of baloney though after autumn leaves because autumn was wearing suede shoes And her shoes weren't wet, even though it's raining really hard outside. And Fred goes, maybe she dried them. And Daphne goes, suede, please. (laughs) (laughs) Daphne is legally blonding this mystery. Yeah, that's really what they've turned her into. She's Elle Woods at this point, and it's perfect. Yeah. The disdain in her voice when she goes, suede, please, is just, (laughs) mm. And as someone that had suede shoes... I would always have to check the weather before going out to a bar, restaurant, whatever, because let me tell you, any water on suede is a nightmare. It's just a devastating situation. Mm. So the roof then opens, which they think is more of the specter situation because it's still raining outside. Why would they open the roof? That's going to be bad for the field. So they're going to go check out I love that the specter is covering so much ground, (laughs) but they're seeing if the specter is now at the place where they operate the roof. Fred has devised a plan to catch the specter, and while he's relaying it to the gang, he's saying, you know, Daphne, you do this, Velma, you do this. The specter shows up and goes, what about me? Which is really (laughs) funny. And Fred goes, well, you're gonna, ah, and then they all run away. (laughs) So, of course, there's a big chase scene. It ends in the gang falling in the trapdoor that Scooby and Shaggy fell in earlier. And when they're underneath the stadium, they see a big tub and Shaggy and Scooby think it's a big tub of pickles so they open it up and they think it smells horrible but they realize it's not pickles it's baseball soaked in kerosene so this is how the specter is making the fireballs Uh. now here is the most unbelievable part of this already very believable story Fred (laughs) looks at his watch and goes hey gang it's the morning the next game's about to start so they just (laughs) haven't slept (laughs) and they've been looking for clues for so long that it is, I guess, the game probably started at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. They've been doing this all from 10 p.m. maybe to, I don't know, 11 a.m. the next day? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> so they go up. A game is about to start. The stadium is full of people. So I guess they didn't cancel the game because of demon that is throwing flaming baseballs at people. But here we are. The first thing the gang sees is J.T. Page quitting his mascot job because he has been asked to be shot out of a cannon. And he says, quote, I'm an athlete, not an idiot, and quits. Wow. I mean, honestly, I respect 
JT's decision. Yeah, it seems like he has integrity as a performer. You gotta have boundaries. You gotta draw the line somewhere. Respect yourself. <laughs> so while JT is walking off in a huff, Bob Taylor, the broadcaster, is there and he goes, Ugh, JT should have considered himself lucky to have a baseball-related job. When I retired, it took me forever to get a baseball-related job as a broadcaster. I taught piano lessons, I did dog grooming, and the gang says, dog grooming? And then, of course, he gives Scooby a very silly perm that basically makes him look like a poodle, and the whole gang laughs. (laughs) (laughs) That's how perms work. (laughs) So the gang goes to meet up with Luis, and Luis is alone in the locker room. He says the rest of the team is too scared to play, so I think we're going to have to forfeit the game. And the gang says, forfeit the game? No way! So they all dress up in uniforms. Of course, they have uniforms that fit everyone. Scooby dresses up as the mascot, and they, I guess, have enough people to fill out the roster, and Fred now has a plan to capture the Spectre. So it's a third inning. Luis is about to bat, and they do the plan. Daphne hits him with sprinklers. Shaggy starts shooting the pitching machine baseballs at him at a speed. (laughs) The speed dial goes fast, way fast, way, way too fast. So this is very dangerous, but just starts firing baseballs at the Spectre, and it finally ends up where the Spectre, Shaggy, and Scooby all end up in the cannon that they were going to shoot JT out of. It launches them into the net. Shaggy and Scooby are on top of him. They demask him, and it's revealed who was the Spectre. So I turn to the two of you. Who is the Spectre? I'm going to go Autumn Summerfield. Okay, what's your reasoning? So, point one, suede shoes and all of that. That seems... Like Daphne was spot on there. That was very suspicious. And then more generally, I think her motivation is to hype up press for her client. Mm. And when he does finally break the record, it's going to you know, launch his career into even bigger things because he overcame this thing with the ghost. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it a lot. How about you, Moya? I'm going with Bob. The reporter? Yes, Bob Taylor. I think that the fact that he used to be on the team means that he would know the layout of the old stadium so he could use that as his hideout. Mm. I think it's real sus that he didn't respect JT's boundaries and was like, you should do whatever it takes to make it in baseball. Because, I don't know, it seems like if you think you can do whatever it takes, then you wouldn't draw the line at dressing up as a specter and throwing flaming baseballs at someone just to keep your reporting job. That is a good point. Well, I'm happy to say you're correct, Moya. It was Bob Taylor. His motivations was that Cab was his best friend and he didn't want to see Louise break his record. Now, let's just overlook the fact that Bob is white and Louise is not white. But all things aside, he just didn't want to see the record broken. So he started terrorizing Louise and they capture him. They put him away. The game continues. The rest of the team comes back now that the Spectre has been defeated. Mike Piazza of the New York Mets joins the gang to watch the game. He shows up and goes, hey guys, do you mind if I sit with you? And they all go, Mike Piazza. And I also, at the same time, said, Mike Piazza. (laughs) Watches the game with them. Luis, on the next pitch, hits a home run and breaks the record. So... All good things happen. What a happy note to end on for this mystery and for this episode of Meddling Adults. So Moya, congratulations. You have won some money for Fair Fight. How Yay. does it feel to reign supreme? Awesome. I'm I'm really competitive. And so I, <laughs> I was trying not to feel it, but I'm very excited that I won. Uh, Carolyn, you still fought very valiantly. You brought in some great thoughts. And I have to say, these were some of the harder mysteries that we've done. So you gave a valiant effort as well. Well, thank you very much for having me. And it's an honor to lose to Moya. Oh, <laughs> Damn, you're nice. (laughs) 
<laughs> just making it even worse. Caroline, if people want to find you doing stuff podcast-wise on the internet elsewhere, where can they do so? Yeah, so my podcast is called She Done It. It does not have any Scooby-Doo mysteries, but it does have other <laughs> classic <laughs> mysteries from days of yore. And you can find it shedoneitshow.com or shedoneitshow on all social media. Wonderful. Maybe you'll unearth an old manuscript of Scoobert's do where are you located (laughs) (laughs) I would love to I do have an episode in the works about mysteries with dogs in though (gasps) so it could happen nice and Moya how about you Uh, you can find me on social media at goastromo and you can find exolorpod at (laughs) exolorpod nice (laughs) on twitter or exolorpod.com oh fantastic well thank you both so much for joining this was a great time listeners thanks for listening and you know it was some harder mysteries but you all came around especially in the end and regardless of your mystery solving abilities I had a great time with the two of you just a couple of meddling adults Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show and help us raise money for charity, you can do so in a couple of ways. First of which, you can go to patreon.com slash meddlingadults. That will get you early access to the episodes and some bonus audio from time to time as well. And we'll put your name on the website as a thank you. If you don't want to give on a monthly basis and you just want to give a one-time donation, you can go to paypal.me slash adults. And if you still want to support the show, but not in a monetary way, you can do so by just telling someone about the podcast. If you think of someone that would like the show, let them know. Tell them you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you want to leave a rating and review online, either post about it on social media or give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Anything like that will help the show grow, and I will be very appreciative of you for doing so. Thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the network, and Multitude and I and everyone else in your life should be very much recommending you to vote. If you live in the United States... Please vote. This election is incredibly important. You should vote no matter where you live. But if you're in the U.S. and you're listening to this before November 3rd, 2020, please get out there and vote. It might be too late to register at this point, so I hope you're already registered. But you can go to vote.gov to figure out where you should go to vote, where you can drop off a ballot if you have an absentee ballot. You can also mail in your absentee ballot. If you have your absentee ballot, fill it out as soon as you can so they can process it. If you're able to do early voting anywhere, do early voting. That also works out better and has shorter lines and it lets your vote get processed. Look up everything you need to at vote.gov and please, 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 please vote. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Meddling Adults, as well as reddit.com slash r slash meddlingadults. And finally, our website is meddlingadults.com, where you can learn more about the show and the charities that we're supporting. Thanks again so much for listening. We hope to see you next week for our next episode of Meddling Adults.